0: Hi there, and welcome to episode number 10 entitled, My Relationship with Money. I'm Roy Oki, the founder of Applied Life Strategies. I'm an advanced certified life coach, a certified cognitive behavior therapy practitioner, and a member of the Academy of Modern Applied Psychology. I've amassed several years of counseling experience, both professionally and ecclesiastically, as an LDS bishop. I've been married almost 37 years, and we have three sons, all grown on their own. So I'd like to think that I have enough life experience to be able to relate to many of the challenges you may be facing today. If you don't currently have a life coach, I would love the opportunity to be yours. If you'd like to contact me or if you're interested in listening to my other podcasts, you can do so at my website, which is AppliedLifeStrategies.com. And as usual, welcome to my home. If you hear a little background noise, that's just life going on outside my home office. Looking back at my earlier podcasts, I noticed that I tend to address some pretty heavy topics. And I know what you're thinking. Well, actually, I have no idea what you're thinking, but it's kind of a fun thing to say. You might be thinking, Roy, how is this topic any less heavy than the others? Well, usually it isn't, but we're going to make it that way today. Believe it or not, the topic of money can be rather light and enjoyable. My goal here today is to offer some relief on the topic of money. Here's where I see the problem with people's relationship with money. They move it from stress to anxiety. If you recall from my previous podcast, we talked about how stress isn't a bad thing. Stress pushes us out of our comfort zones and encourages us to be creative, responsible, and proactive. So if you're stressed because you want to manage your money wisely, stress can be just the ticket you need to push you towards learning what you need to learn and doing what you need to do so you can put your money to its best use. Or maybe I'm stressed every month because it's a stretch to meet my obligations. Stress can give me the motivation to look at different ways of managing my debts, for example, or discovering creative ways to generate more income. But you might be asking, don't I want to eliminate stress? How many times have we heard live a stress-free life and blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, no, you don't. Stress is good. As long as we keep it there as stress. If we graduate to a level of anxiety, then it becomes destructive, which basically means we need to find a way, especially on the topic of money, to chill out, to remove some of those layers and just get it back to a healthy level of stress, which actually will benefit us. So what is not good is the anxiety. Anxiety is stress that is multiplied until it paralyzes us, so we do nothing but sit and wallow in our predicament or pushes us to make rash decisions where we put our financial security at unreasonable risk, all the while praying for some miracle to happen that'll come and save us, like a lottery or something. It can also cause all kinds of problems with relationships. It can convince us to waste money we don't have on things like lotteries or gambling, or even worse, we want to mask that anxiety with bad habits and addictions. So we aren't gonna worry about money stress today. We're gonna look at what causes money anxiety and how we can eliminate that. That's our goal today, to move you back from anxiety to a healthy and useful level of stress. All right, so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at some popular ideas, including the five money personalities, money attitudes, even love languages as it applies to money. We're also gonna look at why some of these, or most of these, can actually just be a giant load of horse manure. And how it would be so helpful if we just lighten up about it. In my never-to-be-humble opinion, these theories are often little more than a ploy to sell you yet another program. I have spent far too much money over my many years on this planet learning from all kinds of self-proclaimed money gurus. I've bought programs, listened to books, attended presentations, listened to podcasts, and taken online courses. So from a self-proclaimed non-guru of money... To me, it all comes down to one simple concept. Does your money control you or do you control your money? For example, being poor does not make you depressed and being rich cannot make you happy. I will warn you that I'm going to make fun of personality types and theories. So if I'm going through this and I upset you or hurt your feelings or something, just remember, I warned you. All right, so let's look at all this baloney we've been taught about money and poke a little fun at it and then see if we can figure out what actually does matter. Let's start with the money personalities. Keep in mind that the labels I use may not match the ones you're familiar with, but that doesn't really matter. You'll figure out fairly quickly who I'm talking about. And if one of these describes you, and one or two of them will, relax, lighten up, don't take yourself so seriously. If it helps, I'll even admit where I fit into these. Apparently after taking an online quiz about them, I found out that I fall into line with uh, actually all of them a little bit. I don't know if that makes me well roundedly dysfunctional and I'm not sure roundedly is an actual word, but anyway, well, I wanna make this useful and even a little bit fun. So the first personality, let's take that one. It's called the avoider. Now the avoider doesn't like balancing the bank account or checking it too much. They pay their bills late or when they have to and they avoid doing the taxes to the last possible second, probably cause they're afraid they're gonna owe a bunch of money and they have no way of paying it. They seldom actually know what their bank had bank account is that, sorry, or how much they've saved for future needs. Now, when it comes to avoiding, we typically avoid because we feel overwhelmed or because we feel inadequate or incompetent in dealing with the complexities of money. Where I fit in this category is with the people who avoid making budgets and tracking their spending. I've never had a budget in my life, and it wasn't from lack of effort on the part of my parents. Growing up, my mom helped me create untold budgets that I never stuck to. I've almost never tracked my spending, which doesn't make it a good idea for you. It just happens to work for me. There have been a couple instances where I have actually wanted to know some specific information. For example, several years ago, my wife and I worked just a few blocks from each other, so we would typically meet for lunch every day. Then one of those days, we got talking about our spending habits and decided maybe we should look at our discretionary spending, specifically lunches. So I pulled up our statements over the last few months and was quite surprised at the amount we were spending on those lunches. So we talked about it and decided we would cut back on eating out. Now, we didn't stop eating out, but rather we simply planned how many times a week we would do it. Now, I know, I know, one of you responsible people are going to say, Roy, if you'd have had a budget, you never would have wasted all that money in the first place. Well, <laughs> my reaction to that would be, oh, fooey on you. To me, the money was worth the extra time I got to spend with my wife every day. So what sparked this was we decided we want to make a couple of changes in our lives. One was we wanted to start eating healthier. And since fast food isn't typically very healthy, we decided we want to cut down on that. Also, we wanted to pay down our mortgage quicker. And lunch money was the easiest place to find the extra cash. As far as why I don't keep a budget, well, that's simple. It's lazy. That's all there is. I'm just lazy. It's a lot more work than I'm prepared to go through. And personally, I don't have a problem with being careful how I spend my money. So I don't see how the input justifies the output. I know that there are already some of you out there losing your minds because I said, I don't keep a budget. Well, if you feel my philosophy is flawed, don't follow it. And it's not actually my philosophy. It's just my personality. It's as simple as that though. You do you, I'll do me. And what I'm going to teach you works for both of us. All right. Okay. Let's go back and take a little closer look at why avoiders avoid. It's usually one of two reasons. One, they're lazy. Okay, if you are lazy about money, I guess you have to ask yourself, what else are you lazy about that's actually costing you joy in your life? You might want to give that some thought. The truth is that very few people, though, actually are lazy about money. There is a reason they avoid, and it tends to put them into this next category. And the next category is, I'm intimidated or overwhelmed by money and everything that seems to surround it. And actually, this tends to include a lot of us. I spend a lot of time in my life in this category. If I ever got into a conversation with friends and the subject turned to things like investment vehicles, ROIs, dividends, futures, etc., I just wanted to run. Then one day I got tired of feeling intimidated. So I started educating myself. Now that I understand all that, I still invest pretty much the way I did before, because at least I'm comfortable and I'm making an informed decision. I do things like paying down my mortgage and investing in low risk mutual funds. Why? Because that's the path that will get me to where I want to be. And it's the path I'm comfortable taking. And since I have better things to do with my time than obsess about money, it works for me. It may not work for you. That doesn't matter. So if you are uneducated about money, maybe ask yourself, why? With things like Google, YouTube, endless free podcasts and the like, money smarts are no longer the realm of the wealthy and highly educated. Now it's the realm of anyone with an internet connection. So learn enough to get started simply. If you want to learn more, great, do it. If not, well, don't. Find where you're comfortable now. And then if you decide you want to push those boundaries of your comfort zone, good on you. And if you don't, then accept where you are and stop fussing about it. If you want some help, take a course or hire a money coach, but learn. That way you can be confident in what you're doing. I hope you're noticing the theme here. If you haven't, trust me, you will, because I'm going to kind of drive you crazy with it. Okay, personality number two, savers. Savers are happy when they have lots of money at their disposal. They tend to get a little panicked if they're not saving. They're a little obsessed with rates of return and don't like investing in things they can't control. They love the idea of safety and crave the security that a large bank balance gives them. Let me give you a little word of advice. If you're married or in a forever relationship, I think is the word, then use both your personalities to your advantage. For example, I'm not the best saver. I'm certainly getting better at it as I go, but my wife is a saver ninja, so I let her. Of course, we discuss and agree on the how and where of everything, but I let her manage it. Why? Because there are money skills that I'm better at, so I handle those. I happen to be very proficient at organizing and paying bills make sure they're done on time and so on. So I do it. We each help each other all the time and I'm happy to find common ground and then follow her lead on what she's good at. By the way, if you're a control freak, this might be hard for you. Start small and work your way up using healthy thinking techniques that your coach can teach you. All right. One other important philosophy of mine. Everyone should save money on a regular basis. Regardless of your personality or views on money, we all need to at least spend a little bit less than we make. There have been times in our marriage when $5 a month was all we could afford to save. And there were times when we could save a lot more. The practice of regular savings is far more important than the amount. I'm going to say that again. The practice of regular savings is far more important than the amount. So if you struggle to save, start small but do it and keep doing it. Here's one cool thing. My bank has this really awesome thing where every time I use my debit card, it puts a dollar into my savings account. I also have an auto withdrawal that goes into savings and a few other ways of saving because I know I'm not good at it. So because I know that and I accept it, I find ways to make it as brainless as possible for me, which for me most of the time means letting my wife manage it. One last thought on this category. This is to all you self-righteous savers out there. Have you ever noticed that people who are really good at saving tend to be really self-righteous about it and they love to brag and tell you about it? Well, here's my thought. Those of us who are not good at saving do not appreciate self-righteous lectures and rants from those of you who are. So please keep your wonderfulness tucked away unless it's asked for. (laughs) That might upset a few people. Anyway, number three, hoarders. If you are a hoarder, Chances are, you may not realize it, or at least you may not realize the extent to which you hoard. And you probably don't appreciate it when people point it out to you. So if you are a hoarder, don't worry. It'll be our little secret. I won't tell a soul. Hoarders love to save. And we're talking about money here for for our purposes today. But more than that, it's why you save the money. Because your motivations are fear-based. If you're a hoarder, you have fear-based motivations. The future and the unknown are very intimidating and sometimes even frightening. You don't save to be able to afford things. You save to protect yourself from the future. And you may not realize it, but you probably have no plan on how you're going to spend that hard saved money once the future actually arrives. You tend to have a lot of anxiety in your life, and especially around money. Safety and security are very emotionally charged subjects for you. It's interesting that most hoarders don't have a problem spending money on themselves, but they don't like spending money on frivolous things like, I don't know, gifts. If you feel obligated enough to buy a gift and you're a hoarder, it's likely inexpensive or on sale, very practical and sadly boring. The problem with hoarding is it is the product of the monkey brain and unhealthy thinking patterns. Why? Don't, if I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry, but it is selfish. It's all about you. It's about your term long security. And if you're an extreme hoarder, you may even feel the need to keep your money close to you and even hide it out of fear of losing it. You know, the people that stuff it under their mattress or into their closets and things like that. If this describes any part of you, you need to work on developing healthy thinking. All right. So again, like I say, if you need help, get it. All right, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Let's talk about spenders because spenders are fun people. They love to treat us when we go out to dinner. They like to buy extravagant gifts, drive fancy cars, they go on the coolest holidays. We all know a few. And if you're one of them, then you probably have a lot of friends. The problem with spenders is that their lives are all about the here and now. Now the problem with that problem is that it sounds kind of hypocritical. As life coaches, we're taught to encourage people to live in the here and now. Where you let go of your past and stop fretting about the future. That said, there is value in learning from your past and planning for your future. I'd love to get all that psychology about spenders, but that's going to be a long, boring thing. And we're not doing long and boring today. So in summary, here's some basics about spenders, or at least some of the motivations. Okay. Some spenders are terribly arrogant people and they spend for show, i.e. They need to create a, a show to convince you that you're that they are as marvelous as they think they are. Some spenders, which is a bigger group, are terribly insecure and spend for show. And why they do this is to try and convince you that they are the person they wish they were. Now, there's you know the funner ones. These are spenders that are adventurous and they spend to finance these adventures. Or they're givers. You always want a few friends of those. Uh, They spend their money on gifts to show love for other people. I've known a lot of spenders in my life, and to be honest, I don't know many that were truly arrogant. Almost all the spenders that I know fall into the categories of insecure, adventurous, or giving. So to me, spenders are typically pretty cool people. If you're a spender, you can pick a category that fits honestly with you. It's a good idea to be brutally honest with yourself and pick a category, maybe two, because they often overlap. Keep in mind that none of these personalities are necessarily bad. I mean, they all serve a purpose. The trick is to make sure that we understand our motivations and then own them so that they don't control us. If we control them, we got it, right? Like other personalities, they lack balance, though, which is what we're going to try and deal with today. All right, finally, this is actually kind of two personalities I put into one. There's the money monk who believes that money is inherently evil and it'll corrupt me. And there's the I'm not worthy crowd who don't think they deserve the finer things in life. So let's first look at those who feel that money is somehow evil and corrupts all those who possess some imaginary amount of it. There's a lot of reasons for this. The biggest one I tend to see is where people refer back to the Bible in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy, where Paul tells Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. Notice Paul never suggested that money was the problem. It was the attitude toward money that seems to be his concern. And here's the truth. And you're going to have to really wrap your head around this if you have a challenge with this. Money in itself is neither good nor evil. It can be used just as easily for helping others as it can to oppress them. Money is 100% completely, utterly neutral. It is the attitude towards it that is the problem. If you look back even through the Latin and Greek translations of that verse, it refers to obsession or extreme greed. So you know, lighten up a little bit on that one. I can use money to make my relationships and even my world better, or I can use it to harm them for my own selfish purposes. It really is that simple. There's nothing more to it. And we need to stop creating all these imaginary meanings about money. Money is neutral. It's people that are not. Some people use money to hurt others, and some use it to bless the lives of people they may not even know. But that still says nothing about the money itself. The only meaning we can derive is about the person and how they choose to use their money. So lighten up, people. There's nothing good or evil about money. All right, I think I beat that one to death. Okay, now let's look at the I'm not worthy crowd. Let me tell you why this group of people annoy me so much, because I'm one of them. I grew up believing I didn't deserve the finer things in life. Now like you, I was taught that I should strive for the better things, but I didn't really believe that I deserved them and I struggled for a lot of years to get through that. Just before I turned 40, we sold our home and anything we felt we could part with and I went back to university. The day after graduation, we took our three boys to Florida where we went to Disney World and a few other parks in that area. We had a wonderful time and made memories to last forever but I can't tell you how uncomfortable I was admitting to people that we went on this trip. I felt that it was either above my station in life or maybe I hadn't earned it yet. A few years later, we took our family to Hawaii. While we again had a wonderful time and I wouldn't trade those memories for anything, I struggled with feelings of guilt and unworthiness. Fortunately, over time, I've learned to get past that quite a bit, but I think it really hit me one day when Trace, my wife, and I were in Hawaii with some friends. I realized that whether I was staying in a room that was 200 a night or 2000 a night, the scenery as I drove up the road to Hana was exactly the same. The view was exactly the same for my reasonably priced vehicle as it was for the people driving right behind us in their Escalade. Just as the view is the same at the top of Waiyale for everyone there, regardless of their financial circumstances, and regardless of how long it took some of us to save to get there. I can choose not to allow money to define my experience. Looking back, it's a little sad how much joy I've robbed myself of due to my insecurities. So my advice, chill out. Just love the moment. It's amazing to me that thousands of people travel every year from all over the world to come see the Canadian Rockies, which are about an hour drive from my house. I don't need money to experience the wonders of this world or this life. It's all around me wherever I am. Now this one's a little bit of a downer, so I'll make it quick. Regardless of how you define love languages, if you or someone, you know, uses money to attract love, then you or that person should consider getting help with your thought process. And here's why. If you use money to express love, that's great. But if you expect a return on that, then it's selfish. And that takes the joy out of the experience. So when you are using your money for good things to, to help others ask yourself, am I doing this because I like myself better when I do, or am I doing this to promote myself to others? Just give that some thought. All right, back to poking fun and money theories. There's a popular movement out there that tells us that we can either look at money from an attitude of scarcity or abundance. And of course the people promote this and they tell us that we should adopt an attitude of abundance towards money. This philosophy basically follows the idea that there's plenty of money out there for everyone and it's actually easy to make. (laughs) All right, I have a couple of problems with that. First, have you ever noticed that those who promote this theory already have plenty of money and are usually quite proficient at making more? It's like they're saying that if I want to have money, I need to be just like them. The reality is that an attitude of abundance is a really good one to have. But the idea that there's plenty of money out there and it's easy to make is absolutely absurd to a huge portion of the world's population. That part of the theory only works if everyone has the same opportunity or personality as a presenter. Let me explain that a little bit better. For example, some of us are really good at drawing or painting or photography or accounting or engineering or whatever. You know, we all have our own talents and abilities. And some people are really good at making money. It's a natural talent. They have the personality and the way their brain works and it works. That's great for them. But some people don't. So to tell them that money is easy to make, I don't know, it just seems a little naive. Here's another example. This idea doesn't apply to most people in the population of, say, North Korea or a tribe member living deep in the Amazon. So, An attitude of abundance is actually an ideal attitude for anyone in any situation, but only when it applies to those parts of our life that we actually have control over. And in reality, we actually have more control than we think we do because then it removes any excuse for not doing something to better my situation. The way I learned the attitude of abundance is it actually has very little to do with money and everything to do with looking at life as a whole. Okay. So really what we're doing is we're just trying to be more grateful of it. And then we tend to attract it. I think we can agree that there are as many ways to look at money as there are people who use it. And personally, I choose to completely ignore most money theories. I find they tend to add layers of stress to the topic and don't really help me that much. So what is my theory on money? Well, I'm glad you sort of asked. Here it is. You ready? It's complicated. So listen, plan your spending. Okay, it wasn't complicated. Do you want me to say that again, in case you weren't paying attention? Plan your spending. I have tried a lot of different strategies and theories in my life, and I keep coming back to this one. I learned it a lot of years ago from a wise man by the name of Keith Russell. While the program he presented was a lot more rigid than my personality could fully grasp and wrap its head around, the theory behind it is brilliant. Why? Because it's simple and it's low stress. It's based on motivation, motivation, rather than guilt. Now you'll each have your levels that you take your planning to, and that's a personal thing. I'm not part of that. Mine is fairly informal and seldom on paper. I'm okay with storing this stuff in my head. Remember that planning the way I do is wrong if it's wrong for you. Some of you might create elaborate, elaborate, sorry, spreadsheets and tracking vehicles. Why don't I choose that method? Because it doesn't fit my personality and my relationship with money. And if I try to be someone I'm not, my efforts are gonna die a painful death. Whatever I have to do is I fit it within my current comfort zone. Then once I'm confident with that, I can push the boundaries of my comfort zone and do more. Keep in mind, this is a process, not an event. It takes time, that's fine. So it's like this, you do you and I'll do me. But my goal is we both plan our spending. Let's see how that works with different money personalities, okay? Avoiders. When planning occurs, even a little, the chaos dissipates because they can't exist together for long. Planning, again, even a little, is actually motivating, which will eliminate my laziness over time. And planning will encourage me to learn, making the whole idea less intimidating. I start by planning the parts that I'm comfortable with and progress there. Yay, one down. Number two, savers. Why do you save planning eliminates the unhealthy motivators behind some savers while giving a positive purpose to what you're doing. I'm not trying to stop you from saving. I want to encourage that. I just want to help you improve why you're saving. So once you've mastered that, you can even look at something totally revolutionary like planning your spending orders. Hoarding is a fear-based activity. Planning moves that motivation from fear to security. So be brave enough to add purpose to your saving beyond fear. What I mean by that is instead of saving, because we're afraid that something might happen, we want to start saving because we want to make something happen. That simple act, even if it only includes a small portion of your savings at first is very liberating. And if that's as far as you ever get, well, good on you. You're making improvement. Spenders. This is the golden key for spenders because you don't have to stop spending. All you're doing is adding reasonable limits. It goes something like this. I see something I want. I take a moment to remind myself that I'm willing to wait a little bit to buy this because waiting will not cause permanent harm to my person. And then I take the idea home and think about it. And if I decide, yes, I really do want this. I plan to buy it and I plan on how I'm going to come up with the money I need to do that. The great thing about this is that I'm not denying myself anything. I'm just being strategic. How cool is that? Also what it does is it removes the remorse problem that spinners live with all the time. Okay. You know that you bought something. And then next day you look at it and think, what was I thinking? I couldn't afford that. Or I didn't need that. You know, I went out the other day and looked at my garage and I'm looking on my shelf with all my tools. Cause I have way too many. And I noticed stuff, I have never opened that I've owned for years. Maybe I should have put a little more thought into that. And the cool thing else too, not everything's cool, but I just seem to like that word, right? Um, is that it makes the purchase so much sweeter because I actually have that moment at that time of planning and anticipation. Isn't that what makes Christmas morning so awesome or any birthday mornings when you could open your gifts? It's the anticipation is almost better than the gift. Well, why rob yourself of that? Here's something else. Um, this I learned from Keith Russell. Um, he had a, he was very rigid in his, and I, I'm not that good at it, but he said if you plan to spend it, you spend it, period. So his example was one time he had $10,000 that he had put aside to go buy a car. Now this was 30 years ago, so you could buy a pretty cool car for $10,000 back then. And he went down to the car dealership, and he didn't find the one he liked, but he did find these two cars that were $5,000 each. So he bought them both. He spent the whole 10000 I don't know he did it with the extra one. It doesn't really matter. Now, me personally, I would have taken that extra five grand and put it on something else on my list or I don't know, done other impulse buying like bought a snowmobile or something. But the point is, is that he planned it and he did it. Here's the other cool thing you spenders can do with planning. You can plan impulse buying. That means you plan a certain amount of money that you're going to have every month for impulse buying. So you still get to do it. Again, you're just being kind of strategic and responsible. All right, let's look at that. I'm not worthy or the money monk group. Okay. If you struggle with feelings of unworthiness towards money, then planning can give you a feeling of control and self empowerment. That alone can help dissipate the self-destructive feelings of not deserving the finer things. I still recommend you work on that with your life coach, when it comes to improving those thinking patterns, it really can help speed the success process. And for all you money monks out there, if you don't control your spending, it very well may corrupt you. So the solution is simple. Control it. Plan how you use it for whatever purposes you hold most dear. Remember that money can never be good or bad. Only how people use it defines that. So control how you use it and start enjoying those rewards in your life. Okay. Let's sum all this up. All right. First money is not complicated until I make it that way. And I can educate myself or simplify my situation to the point that I'm comfortable. And then I can continue to educate myself and push my boundaries to the point that I choose to. Second, Saving for the sake of saving is actually unhealthy. Saving for a specific well-defined goal is brilliant. Next, if I currently save out of fear, planning will help dissipate that fear, giving me a feeling of control. Okay, next, planning my spending strengthens my spirit and helps me like myself better. Planning will increase my confidence in myself my goals, and my state in life. Planning gives me control, and what I truly control cannot hurt me. Planning and regularly saving gives me power over my life and my future. My money personality probably has very little to do with my actual personality, and a lot more to do with learned behaviors and misguided beliefs. If I can learn things that hurt me, I can learn things that help me. Finally, I really just need to chill out and stop complicating this. As I said earlier, there's a lot more to this plan in your Spain than I can hope to explain in this podcast. It takes a little while for me to go through it with a person and kind of customize it to their personality and their behaviors and habits. But this is a great place to start. Like anything else, we have to have a place to start. We gotta start somewhere. So if you're struggling with money, this might be a great starting place for you. I do hope you found this episode interesting and useful. Please let me leave you with these thoughts. You are not broken. You're an imperfect being, which is awesome. By the way, you can harness the stress in your life by learning to remove the anxiety. You can be slow to judge and quick to show kindness, especially for yourself. If you feel you could use some help with your thoughts and feelings, or your money, please contact me through my website at appliedlifestrategies.com. We have other podcasts at that website as well if you want to listen to them. If your family's in crisis, we have the expertise and support to help there as well. Again, the website is appliedlifestrategies.com. Have a great day.